I love that I think, at least, we are a pretty multi-generational church. And actually, I want to test it out. I want, I want to see who is here from, from which generation. So we're going to go through these. If, if you're part of a generation as we go through them here, just raise your hand so I can kind of see. And we look around to see who's a part of what generation here. Now, keep in mind as we do this, we're going to go according to birth year. So as I mentioned, the year that you were born, raise your hand. It's a span. Don't worry. No one's going to know your actual age and your exact age. Don't worry. It's a span. But these generations, if you're not super familiar with them, the generations are less about the year you were born and more about the events that happened in our world around the time you were a little younger, young-ish, right? So you might have experienced a lot of events in your lifetime, but the ones that we experience as a generation, as the generation is younger, it really shapes a whole group of people who were born about the same period of time. So a generation is about 20 years, but if you find yourself on the bubble and you identify with one generation more than the other, that's okay. But you can only raise your hand for one generation, okay? All right, so I'm curious if we have anyone here from the greatest generation. And they were born 1901 to 1927. I read that there's only about 100,000 that are still here. Anyone from that generation? No. Ah, man, I was going to be really excited, but that's okay. That's okay. All right, so the next generation is the the builder generation. Builder generation was born 1928 to 1945. Who's here from that generation? There's a few. Okay. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. All right, the next generation is the boomer generation, born around 1946 to 1964. Who's part of that generation? Okay, well represented. I love it. I love it. All right. After that's Gen X. Gen X generation, 1965 to 1980. Okay. All right. I'm not going to make any comments on the couples that I've seen that one person's raising their hand for one generation and the other person's raising their hand for another. Not making any comments about that. All right. The next generation, the millennial generation. That's me. 1981 to 96. Okay. That's very millennial ish. (laughs) All right, the next generation is Gen Z, 1997 to 2012. And we have some represented there. Come on, come on, guys, raise them up. Be proud. All righty, all right. I love it. I love it. All right. And there is recently talk about the latest generation, Gen Alpha. I guess we probably don't have anyone from Gen Alpha here, 2013 to present. One? All right, we got one. There's a lot of them also in our kids' ministry right now, so we're really excited that they're a part of it. But that, I mean, that, there are some generations maybe more represented than others, but it, it really seemed like we had a good mix of the generations. And I think that there is a beauty in the generations coming together. Now, I also realize that this makes life hard, right? Because different generations have experienced different things in history and have responded in different ways. And and it's really hard to mix the generations, especially when it comes to church, right? I, I understand that probably those who are a little closer to my age might enjoy and like my preaching a little bit more than those who are further from my age. I get that. Eric has a really hard job in, in generalities. I'm going to speak just in generalities here. Those who are a little bit older tend to like the hymns and organ and piano and simple music. Instrument-wise, instrument-wise, those who are a little bit younger tend to like big bands, newer contemporary music. And so Eric 
has worked really hard and I think does a really good job of blending to the two to the best of his ability. But what I really, really appreciate is all of those who are a little bit older and have been a part of this church for a really long time and made the decision to bring Eric in and to know that we need to reach the next generation and to encourage and to set aside preferences for the good of the church and continuing for the next generation. And I think that is a beautiful, beautiful picture of what heaven's going to be. When we're all gathered around the throne, I'm not sure if we're going to still have our preferences and know what I would like to, to worship God in the style I want to worship God. But when we're in heaven, we're going to very easily be able to say, it's not about what I want to worship God, but I want to worship the King of Kings who's seated on the throne. However, he wants me to worship him. Amen. And so there is a beauty, there is a beauty in being able to come together as different generations. An earlier form of what heaven's going to be like when we can do that together and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I am so excited when I get to see that happen. For the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Cultivating Community. And we wanted to uh, to go back and see how we got to this place of needing community so deeply because it's something, it's it's very evident in our world that we need. And, and we saw how it began with God and, and creation. And as he wove that need for community into us, into the fabric of this world that we live in. And we've looked at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And and up to this point, I would say and describe the community that God has has called us to that we've been talking about as more of our living room community. It's the people that are closest to us that we invite into our living room or we have a meal around the dining room table together. It's a smaller community. But at this point, as we start talking in Exodus, as the nation of Israel starts to grow, we're going to start shifting these conversations a little bit from our smaller, tight-knit community to a larger community that we choose to be a part of. And the example that we're going to keep coming back to is, is the Big C Church. Right? Every believer who, who believes in Jesus, believes in God around the globe, regardless of denomination, generation, regardless of all of, any of those differences, that call them, call on the name of the Lord, part of the Big C Church. But as we talk about this, I'm going to focus our conversations here to the local church. I hope you don't feel picked on, but you guys are the one that I'm talking to. Right? The other, everyone else in the world could tune in on YouTube or the podcast if they want to, want to hear what this guy over here has to say. But you guys are the ones who choose to be here. People beside you and in front of you, behind you, you're the ones who, who choose to be a part of this faith community and, and people around you choose to be in, in this local church with you. And this is our broader community that we choose to be a part of. And so this is where our conversations are going to go and, and circle around over the next little bit. And we need to start these conversations by just calling out an elephant in the room and some of these generational differences. And we're going to see one of those make their appearance today as we pick up in the book of Exodus, where we left next last week. We were looking at the plagues. We were looking at how God was showing his power and, and showing his might through these plagues, not just to the nation of Israel, but to the land of Egypt. And today I want to look at this final plague. This final plague that God sent that, that the Pharaoh would end up saying, you just, just get out of here, driving the Israelites away. In fact, giving them gold and silver and clothes. Israel ended up plundering Egypt on their way out of town. It's a, it's a beautiful, amazing story. 
But this final plague also became a very defining moment for the nation of Israel. This final plague became a a critical, critical time. And, and, And God points this out to Moses and Aaron as they're still in the land of Egypt. Exodus chapter 12, the first two verses, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. I'm not sure how they were counting time before this, but this moment right here that's about to happen is such a defining moment. They're going to start telling time right now by this event that's about to happen. God goes on to describe what we know now as the Passover celebration, the Passover meal, to take a lamb, cook it, prepare it in a certain way, and to take some of the blood and mark the doorpost of each home with it. Verse 13 explains why the Lord says that the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This final plague is the taking of every firstborn life, male and uh, human and livestock, firstborn male in every household. And, And this blood of the lamb on the doorpost is a sign that someone in this house believes in the Lord and has done what he has asked and he's going to pass over. Here comes the term Passover. But I'm kind of confused because last week we talked about the plagues, right? Last week we looked at the ninth plague a little bit. We saw this deep darkness come over the land except for where the nation of Israel was living in Egypt. Right? So, so God knows where his people live. Right? God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He knows which homes he's going to pass over. So why paint with the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of the homes? Because God is doing something here that is far bigger than what the nation of Israel can understand in this moment. He's setting up a tradition He's setting up new beginnings. This final plague is so defining. It, it's starting a new year. It's starting new beginnings. It's, it's a defining moment in Israel's history. Verse 14, the Lord says that this is a day to remember each year from generation to generation. You must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. I texted my dad this week and I asked him, what was the first commandment we see in scripture? And he rattled off something from Genesis about go forth and multiply. And I don't like his answer. So I'm ignoring him in this moment. But this is the first time that we see a law given to the nation of Israel. Right before then in Genesis, there, there really wasn't a nation of Israel. But this, this is the, there's no Ten Commandments at this point. This is the first law that God gives his people. And it's a tradition to keep from generation to generation to generation. Let me ask some of you who are on the little bit older generation side than I am. How much is it like teeth trying to encourage the younger generations to keep a tradition going? How, how hard is it to, to keep generation, to keep traditions going from generation to generation to generation? Yeah, uh, I get a big thumbs down from someone in the back. It, that, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But this is so important. It's repeated later, verse 24. 
God goes on and he continues to give some guidelines for what's happening in, in this moment and for future years. He says, remember these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. Now I want to talk for just a moment about some generalities. And this might not always apply to you. Please don't send me angry emails this week. But generally speaking, the older generations really appreciate traditions, right? It gives them warm, fuzzy feelings. They really love a good tradition. And there's this understanding that these younger generations just don't appreciate it and turn their nose up at it and just walk away. The younger generations, I hate to admit it to you, we have our own traditions. Whether you like it or not, whether you see it as a tradition, we have them. But we tend to maybe think that the older generation is a bit too stuck in their ways and need to move on and get with the times because this world has changed and life has changed and it's different today. And instead of coming together, we tend to butt heads, don't we? And it becomes a real defining marker, barrier that we just can't get beyond. And what I'm not here to do today is take one side over the other, but to say that both sides might have some good points. You see, the the power behind traditions is not the tradition in and of itself, but it's the purpose behind the tradition. And all traditions serve the same purpose. All traditions serve a purpose of remembering and connecting Remembering and connecting, remembering a certain event, remembering a certain person, remembering something that happened in the past, and connecting with other people. We're coming up on the holiday season, just in case you weren't aware of that yet. Christmas is coming soon. I hope you've started on all the Christmas festivities that are quickly approaching. And one of my favorite Christmas traditions started years ago when my dad said he's going to take us out to dinner before the Christmas Eve service. So we all get into the minivan and we pull up to a restaurant. I don't remember what restaurant it is. And he puts the car in park and I go to unbuckle my seatbelt. But then he puts the car back in reverse. This is strange. What what is happening? You've met my dad. He's a bit of a strange character. But I went on with it. We pull into another restaurant. He does the same thing. He puts the car in park. This time he turns off the car. I reach for my seatbelt. He turns it back on. Puts it in reverse and he leaves. This probably happened three, four times. Before we pull into Taco Bell, Taco Bell, I mean, I'm not mad at Taco Bell. I like Taco Bell, but when he said he's taking us out for a special dinner before Christmas Eve service, uh, Taco Bell wasn't really what I had in mind. So he puts the car in park, turns off the car, starts walking in, and we're all still in the van. Like, there's no way he has Taco Bell in mind for dinner. And he turns back and says, why aren't you coming? And so we get out of the van and go into Taco Bell. And ever since then, every Christmas Eve, we've gone to Taco Bell for lunch or dinner at some point on Christmas Eve. Even my first Christmas when I was not uh, in Bristol with my, with my family, I was at a Taco Bell in Kentucky. They were in a Taco Bell in Virginia, and we FaceTimed just for a moment, and, and we were eating Taco Bell together and apart at the same time. It was, it was fun. It's a tradition of, of remembering how crazy our dad is and how much fun it was growing up, a time of connecting with each other. It's a, it's a tradition that, that we really enjoy, and that's what, that's what Passover is. It's a time for us to remember God. 
to remember what he, he did for the nation of Israel as they were enslaved in Egypt. It's a time for us to remember his power and his might, how he came through and, and provided for his people. Years later, now in hindsight, we look back as how this moment was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ to come. And how Jesus is referred to as a spotless lamb and his blood was shed. And, 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 right, and, and so this moment is a time for us to remember God. We remember God and remember what he did and, and the reason that traditions are so important is so that we can pass it from one generation to the next. Moses knew how much kids asked the question, why? 27 million times a day. Why, 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 why? And so he, he tells them in, in, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 27, when your kids ask why we do this, you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he's passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. Traditions help us to pass on these memories to the next generation. They help us to remember God. They help us to connect with God and with others, right? The Passover meal was not something that was done in isolation. It wasn't just each individual. It wasn't even just one family. If you were part of a smaller family, you joined with another family. This was something we did together, not just to connect with each other, but to connect with God. The second part of that verse, verse 27, it says, after, after uh, Moses had, had finished telling them all this, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. This tradition was not just a tradition for tradition's sake to, to remember God, but to connect us with him so that we could worship him. We could take time set aside to, to remember and connect with God. And it was a tradition that lasted for generations and generations and generations and still for Jews today continues to this day. Now, sometimes... Traditions have a tendency of changing, don't they? And that can be really hard. And a lot of times, traditions start to shift and change when those younger folk grow up and get married. Things changed with our Taco Bell tradition when I met a girl by the name of Hannah. Hannah was not a fan of Taco Bell. She did not like Taco Bell at all. In fact, the first year Christmas came around, we were dating. Um, she did not want to go to Taco Bell. But because she liked me a little bit, she agreed to go. And she ate a cheese roll-up. Something about the meat not being real at Taco Bell. I don't know. It seems real to me. I have no idea. But she went... I think she had a good time. I think she enjoyed it. It kind of worked out because now we're married. And the next Christmas rolls around and she says, Ah, you know, babe, I really don't want to go to Taco Bell. But because I love you, I will go if you really want us to. And that was the moment that I could have decided and put my foot down. We're going to Taco Bell. I wouldn't have even had to put it down hard. She was very willing to go to continue this tradition. And I think it's a tradition that our kids would have loved for years to come and really enjoyed. But I think that it got a little better. And not because of the restaurant choice. So now, instead of Taco Bell, every Christmas Eve at some point, you will find us in a Mexican restaurant of some kind somewhere around town. We kept the spirit of the tradition. And we kept the purpose of the tradition. Christmas is a hectic time of year. 
especially for families in ministry. And what my dad did by establishing that tradition was setting aside time in what was gearing up to be a very busy, hectic couple days for family. And so now when my kids grow up and they figure out we go to a Mexican restaurant every year on Christmas Eve, they'll ask why I get to tell them about their crazy grandfather and how important family time is during the holidays. And we just, we want to set aside this time to remember, we're going to remember what's happened this last year. We're going to connect as a family and it's going to continue. And this is a tradition that has shifted, but we're keeping the purpose the same. And that's the key. It's roughly 2,000 years ago that Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples that that tradition changed a little bit. It shifted. And it was during the Passover meal that he took bread and broke it, saying, this, body, this bread represents my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and poured it, saying, this cup represents my blood shed for you. And his disciples had no idea what it meant. They had, they had not a clue what was happening in this moment. It was before anything happened, but in hindsight, looking back, he shifted this tradition of Passover to what we now observe as communion. Same tradition, same purpose, taking time to remember God, taking time to connect with God, same purpose, but it shifted a little bit. And it can be really hard sometimes to make that shift. There's a church father who put it this way. He says, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And I suppose I should add, it is traditionalism that gives tradition such a bad name. Over the last year or so, I've had a renewed fascination with some church history and different components of of church history through the years. And I am still in awe of the traditions that have been passed down from church fathers. We, We look at some of the spiritual disciplines, and some of the spiritual disciplines we are rooted in Scripture, but we don't see in Scripture, and yet they've held to these and clung to these and it's really helped them to remember God and connect with God. And, uh, one of the ones that comes to mind is, is journaling. Right? We don't see journaling anywhere in scripture but there is a church father at some point who realized how powerful of a tradition journaling can be to take time to remember God. We're going to write it down or maybe today type it out and we're going to have a journal where we remember God. It's a time to connect with him, to, to reflect, to Say, God, how have you shown up? How have you been in my life? And and look at our own journey. It's it's a way to connect with him. And and later it might be a way for us to connect with others as our kids or grandkids might read our journal. Right? Journaling is not for everybody. But it's not the journaling that's so important. It's what happens in the journaling process. It's the remembering and connecting piece that's so important. And any time we hold on to a tradition itself without remembering the purpose, it becomes traditionalism. And it is a warning sign of a dying faith. Anytime we come into this space, anytime we partake of communion and forget the purpose behind it, And we just eat a cracker and take some juice. It is a warning sign of a dying faith. And has become traditionalism 
not a tradition. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There is a purpose behind what we do in communion. And any time we hold to a tradition more than the purpose behind it, it should be a warning sign to us that we need to re-examine. But any time we throw tradition out completely, we're missing something huge. Anytime that we disregard tradition completely, we are missing a rich, full... We've been talking about community. This is our extended family, the church history, and fathers and mothers who have gone before us in generations and generations ago. Right? They have so much wisdom and insight. There was reasons for doing the things that they did. Um, some of you grew up in a more liturgical church setting and more liturgical style worship I I love that I've had a renewed interest in that in the last few months it's been fascinating to look at that and it it serves a purpose you come to church and you say the same things over and over and over and over again it's only a matter of time before you know them deep in your heart It might not be the most fascinating, most interesting as time goes on and traditions change and generations rise up. But there is something about not needing to have a cell phone in your hand or a Bible before the word of life of Jesus Christ is in your heart because of the decades and decades that you've spent reading just by going to church. It's not about the liturgy. It's about what happens in reading and saying and reciting it over and over and over again. And what we need to do, church, what we need to do is do a better job of understanding the purpose and the power behind traditions. To those who are a little bit older than me and really love traditions, I want to challenge you to think about what you love so much about that tradition. Not the tradition in and of itself, but why is it so important? What is it that you love about it? Why is it so important? To those who are maybe my age, a little bit younger than me, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't don't just get rid of this idea of traditions, but but ask someone, why do you hold to it? And, and whatever reason they give you because they like it, push past that. Yeah, yeah, but why? But what does it do? What's the purpose behind it? Keep pushing. Keep asking questions because there is a, a well of wisdom behind many of these traditions that might not be so popular anymore. It is hard. It is hard to connect the generations. It is hard to keep focused on the purpose of traditions. It is hard not to just throw tradition out altogether. But we see God shifting and changing and in hindsight painting a picture that is so much bigger than what any of us can even begin to imagine. He shifted Passover to reflect the cross to point to the cross. And I have no idea what spiritual disciplines are going to do in my life or in your life, what maybe church liturgy has done in your life 
or could do in my life. But there is a purpose behind tradition. That if we throw tradition out or if we focus on the tradition in and of itself, we could miss. I don't want us to do that. I want us to get to the end of our life. I want us to stand before God and look back on everything and say, wow. God was doing something through these traditions that I'm only now beginning to realize what it was. And it's going to be beautiful. Father God, we are so grateful for your wisdom that stretches far beyond what we can see in this space, in this time, for how you have woven so many things together, how we get back to to look in hindsight, even over our short lives, however old we are, that we get to look back over our short lifetimes and see how many things fit together that you wove together and And there's so many things that, God, if we're not paying attention, we'll miss. And so, God, I just thank you for the power of traditions and the the purpose that you gave them. I pray that we will all do a better job at focusing on the purpose and, and keeping traditions so that we can remember you, remember what you've done for us, and connect with you in ways that... um may not be possible apart from these traditions. Lord, we love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We are, as always, going to continue worship in this moment as we take communion as a family together. And I just want to encourage you to uh, to focus on what this, this moment and this tradition is for for remembering the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, for us to have a relationship with him and us to have new life in his name. If you'd like someone to pray with you, I'm going to be down here. I would love that opportunity to pray with you. We're going to take a time for you to remember on your own, and then we're going to come back and we're going to take communion as a family together this morning. Father God, we're so grateful for you, for your love, for your grace. We're grateful for this tradition that is so much more than a simple tradition, but draws us back to the purpose and the origins of of faith, of how you deeply desired a relationship with us, and you've spent all of Scripture pursuing us, and God, we are so thankful. And we pray that in this moment, we can remember and connect with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.